high school, Stephanie was an excellent student, but her first love was definitely music. But she didn't like music from her own generation. She liked older music. Music like Madonna and David Bowie. All the strangers came today And it looks as though they're here to stay She didn't just like the lyrics that they had. She liked the crazy costumes they wear and the way they wore their makeup. Early in high school, she used to alter her clothes and get online and try to find crazy makeup ideas. And at first, the other high school kids kind of just ignored her, just thought she was different. But then, it kind of turned. They started to pick on her. They started to call her names like freaking loser. Then they started to say more hurtful things about her looks, calling her bucktooth, and that she had a big nose. This scarred her to this day. Stephanie, she went off to Tisch Art School in Manhattan, New York, a very prestigious art school. And she got even more creative. Her makeup got crazier. Being in art school, she found students that would help her sew costumes that were totally outrageous. And they would do it for free because they were college students and they were her friends. Also, the makeup artist wanted to practice because someday they would work on big name celebrities. Stephanie was in class one day and she could hear a couple kids talking about her behind her back. You ever get that feeling someone's talking about you? She could hear them talking. She turned around and they abruptly stopped. She thought this was weird, but didn't think anything of it. She went back to her dorm room and her roommate was there. And she told her what had happened in class. And the roommate looked at her and says, I've got something to show you. Come over here. The roommate opened up her laptop and she pulled up a Facebook page. And Stephanie was trying to see what was going on. And as the page flipped open, she saw faces, smiles of her classmates and some people that she thought were her friends. But she started reading what it was. It was a hate group formed on Facebook about her. It was saying mean, nasty things about how she wasn't talented, that she was wasting her time, that she was never going to be famous. She was floored. As she looked at the faces in the comments, making fun of her, laughing at her, she felt as low as you could feel. Can you imagine opening up a Facebook page and seeing that 10,000 people, your friends, and people you look up to are making fun of you and saying that you're a loser? This scarred her to this day. This is a talk not about bullying. This is a talk about how people treat you when you try to leave them behind. In Hollywood, the bully is the stocky, tough kid who breaks your glasses and takes your lunch money. But in real life, bullies are your friends and usually your family. And the reason they are is because they're so insecure that you're going to get up, gain some skills, and leave them behind. They're so afraid of you leaving the social class 
and having no need for them anymore. This is not a talk about how Stephanie used all this negative energy to overcome all. All of this negativity actually slowed her down. It almost stopped her. But she didn't give up. In case you didn't know, I'm talking about the one, the only, the iconic Lady Gaga. Stephanie, Lady Gaga, wasn't born exceptional, but she'd worked her way there. She used her 161 IQ, higher than Einstein's, practiced her music, practiced her performing, and went on to sell 200 million records. She won 13 Grammys, and her outfits got even wilder. And all the original people in college who used to do stuff for free, she brought them along too as a sign of loyalty. And guess what? They all got raises. But for me, the peak of her career is when she was the sole music act for the most watched TV show in America, the Super Bowl. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet. So we don't have a, an opening explanation of the, the episode right now. What would you say the episode is about in like a couple of sentences? Because we went back and forth on this. Oh, God, it's hard because we talk about different things. Um, it, it, I think, is it, is it good to, to be like everyone else socially or is it good to be an outlier? Right. I, I, I think that actually hits it on the head very nicely <laughs> because, <laughs> right, my gist of this episode and the reason why we asked this question is, you know, uh, Lady Gaga got bullied because she stood out and got eccentric and, and started doing things in a in a school and time and place where it was better to sort of lay low and put in your time and and honestly that might be the the title of the episode when we're completely done is the the episode title could be lay low and do your time it's safer and you'll get promoted but you know be eccentric take huge risks and you might get you know billion dollar deals yeah Yeah. (laughs) for the vast majority of people listening the lay low and uh be um risk averse that's going to pay you in life more often and more securely than taking risks. So we're, we're basically this whole episode is risk assessment for someone like Lady Gaga or somebody who wants to break out of the box. Am I getting all this right? Because there's a lot here. Sounds good to me. Yeah, sounds okay. good. Um, and we have three myths for this. And these are myths that are basically going to be going through Lady Gaga's story in life and, and trying to bust myths about what she did right. Uh, Myth one, according to movies, TV, and every Stephen King novel ever, bullying happens when a big, tough kid is secretly scared of their home life, and they're lashing out to get control. But what if that's not the case most of the time? Myth two, doing wild makeup, dressing strangely, being eccentric, it's just a put-on. There's no way it's a real reflection of your talent, or how people perceive your talent, right? 
Myth three. So let's get to the mother of all workplace myths. Do jobs promote people because they go out of their box, upskill themselves, and break out of the mold? Or do companies purely promote based on tenure? Seriously, guys, seriously? We're going to get to our myths. But first, I want to tell Joe about a time when I was bullied, lightly, for trying to break out of my mold. Speaking of uh, wearing eccentric clothes, or just wearing clothes that are beyond your station, beyond your norm. If you are an auto mechanic, you have a choice of like coveralls, uh, um, suspenders with your jeans or, or pants, and like there's a very sort of like archetypical image in our mind, no matter who you are and what you do. If you, if you work a business job, we expect you in polo shirts and button ups and things like that. Could you talk about the, the story you shared with me about dressing higher than your station? Yeah, I worked my first, I guess you'd say job career, whatever it was. Um, I worked in car sales. I sold cars and I really wanted to become a manager. Um, so I started talking to the manager and say, well, how do I become a manager? And they said, sell more cars. And then I sold more cars. And then they said, sell cars for more profit. So I did that. Then they started uh, saying, well, you need to learn some of the things. So when the manager's gone, you work your days off, you know, and for free, you work your days off and learn these skills. So when they leave, it'll be a, you know, smooth transition. And so when I started doing this, I started to go from the polo shirts and the slacks to dress like the managers did, which was um, I'd go out and get um, to the men's warehouse and get suits made. And what I noticed right away were first the salespeople started to kind of tease me about, oh, look, he's got manageritis. He wants to be a manager. Look, he's GQ dressing. And it bothered me a little bit, but I thought, <laughs> oh, that's, they're just immature. And they're pretty much, that's how they show that they like you. You know, they tease you or they're jealous that I'm going somewhere. But then the managers who were making these promises to me started teasing me and talking about how I dressed and the shoes I was wearing and my hair. And it, it, it made me feel pretty, pretty, pretty foolish, you know. I, we usually tell people like the, the advice, the old advice I've heard is you dress for the job you want, not the one you have. And it seems really easy to accept that advice to just be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just dress better and I'll I'll treat myself better and it will signal to the outside world that I, I want to be in a higher position. But when you do it, you, you get feet, like you, you get pushback. I mean, like with the, with your sales team, what were they wearing? Were they all like in like polos and dockers and you're in a suit? Yeah. I, I look different. I definitely stood out, but it didn't look inappropriate for what I was doing for work. You know, it wasn't, right. it wasn't Lady Gaga's meat suits or anything. And I've seen people do this badly. Like I've, I've seen um, like, like younger guys who get suits that don't work well or like they're <laughs> it looks like um the, like they're they got their father's suit and it's like uh over starched and and blocky on them and it, it doesn't fit todd does well with a suit like i've <laughs> if you've seen him or pictures on on the website and he's wearing a suit he looks very nice so i just imagine this is purely um well them them going after you for for social class for for trying to move up or move down when they don't think it's appropriate and one thing similar to the Lady Gaga thing, where she was at the, the Tisch School, um, she was really floored by the fact that, well, she must have been floored. I, I didn't talk to her about this, but she must have thought it was crazy that this big 
Facebook hate thing um, formed over a place that's an art school, a music school. So everyone there, Joe, is trying to get into music, right? Right. So <laughs> that's a prerequisite for going there. And the same with, you know, being a salesperson, everyone wants to go into management. They want to make more money. They want to have more responsibilities or they want to have more power, I guess. They also used to tease me a lot about my sales training that I liked to go to Toastmasters um, to get better at public speaking. Um, that I listened to Anthony Robbins or I used to some other sales trainer. Now, why would managers tease me about honing my craft? I mean, have you ever ran into that in, in your writing stuff that your friends or family have teased you about it? Yes, um, I will say that some of it stuck and some of it was honest. And, and like when I say honest teasing, I mean, like I did a couple things that were kind of silly. Like um, I, I, I kind of I, I grew my facial hair and, and shaved my head and, and things like that to, to not just look older, but to just try to dress and act more mature, um, because at the time I, I hadn't won anything. And so I wasn't being really taken seriously by the older authors like they if you're younger and and you are even if you're good, you're kind of treated as like, OK, yeah, you're you're an up and comer, but also you're like in the fantasy genre. Go play with the the kids writing about Dungeons and Dragons and don't bother us adults. We're busy with like historicals or, or you know, uh, writing our memoirs. <laughs> they wouldn't say that to you. You just felt that. Yeah, um, they actually did separate us into genres once just to point out uh, what the age groups of different genres were. So it was said out loud, but it was more of like a social experiment. Um, but no, it's it's just the feedback like like people, you know, people very gently uh, and lightly remind you uh, where your class or, or where your cast is, like where where you should be sort of like where your pool should be hovering or your, your where you should be floating in the tank. Um, and that's that's. When you talk about being teased at work, that's kind of what it comes off to me as is it's it's a light reminder of, you know, you're you're looking like you're not in our social class. You know, why don't you come back a little bit? The the blatant teasing, the Lady Gaga level of teasing, I don't think I've seen that in, in person in real life, unless it is specifically for somebody who is like flagrantly um, uh, breaking the social contract of their social class. I, I, that actually might be the bigger issue is I don't think that a thousand people suddenly deciding to hate Lady Gaga on a social media. First of all, that's wild. Like, like if a thousand people all of a sudden decide to hate me now, I change my name. Like that's, that's yeah. not even in college or in, in high school. That is, uh, you know, a thousand people hating you is, is that's intense. Well, I see this in the sports world a lot. And I think sports is a little easier than, than the arts because there are wins and losses. So the memes and, and then the, the players are all still on and some of the less of the coaches, the coaches are of an older generation. Um, they're not as sensitive to that because um, they're not as exposed to it. But the, the players really get a lot of hate tweets and it affects them. It affects the, they'll, they'll freak out in interviews sometimes it, the pressure you can, you can kind of see it building, but you know, with, with uh, Lady Gaga or, Taylor Swift. There's not wins or losses, right? <laughs> they right. don't they don't bomb publicly like like athletes do. Athletes, their failures are very exposed. And so people who have two percent as much athletic ability like myself can pile on them and say that they're junk, you know. Right. I 
I kind of want to get into like what this looks like in real life, because I, I believe, do you, do you think Lady Gaga is exaggerating when she says a thousand people? Like, do you, it's possible she's not. I'm, I'm not going to say that. Well, it's 10,000 people. And okay. I, I don't know, but I think it must have felt like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there weren't that many kids in the, in the school. <laughs> so it would be hard for believe that she would have had the exposure that that many people could hate her. Like it could, it's possible now. That's easy. She could probably do a hundred thousand people, a million people, but <laughs> right. right to make that many enemies, you have to have a lot of fans. Well, we could talk about, um, I, I, I do have sort of examples in research and in life of what that looks like when somebody gets bullied or teased for, um, changing their, their social class. Um, I think that possibly, and this is a, a, another pet theory of mine, there's a lot of these in this episode. Because we like rags to riches stories, and because so many of our um, best movies and TV and, and you know, uh, our, our tales we tell ourselves, a lot of our social media encourages rags to riches, uh, climbing, striving, joining a new social group. Um, I mean, like, the, if you've seen the the show Suits, it's about somebody who doesn't belong in a law firm, like who's who hasn't even passed the bar, like sort of tricking his way into it. But he's got an extreme ability. He's got like a perfect memory. And and he goes literally from nothing to, um, you know, uh, corp, corporate law. It sounds like the, the, the premise for Limitless, the, the movie book, right? Right. Limitless is a, is a great example. They're, they're, like you can't you throw a stone on Netflix without hitting a movie about what we're talking about, which is nobody around them thinks that they should be trying to go into the upper class that they are and they do it anyway and they they get bullied and we always sort of like shake our heads and say well, that wouldn't really happen in real life but honestly it does it's very very common and there's research about it <laughs> so um we'll link off to the the time article about this um time basically uh um they were reporting on another set of research that was done at um UC Davis uh, by Robert Ferris. And they say in it that traditionally most bullying, um, and, and still this hasn't changed, still most bullying happens to those who occupy the lower rungs of the social ladder. Um, so basically, uh, the people who are lower in the social group, they're the ones that get bullied more often. And it's not totally out of cruelty. It's not Stephen King. Like we, we joked about Stephen King because every one of his movies is about a bully who is so much of a bully. They're willing to like stab people and stuff um, like super, super, super bullies. He, he talks about in his book, and I know you've read it, Stephen King on writing, which is a wonderful book um, that I think everyone should read, whether you're, whether you're an aspiring writer or not. But he talks about when there was a, a young woman when he was in school who um, dressed up and she was from the very, 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 very poor part of Maine. And Maine is like a third world country. It's very rich and it's very, very poor. And that she dressed up and curled her hair and wore a nice dress one day and wore makeup and that all the kids picked on her and that he was not proud that he was one of them. He wasn't the worst, but he did. And he talks about on the ride home on the bus how she was so full of life and glowing in the morning, but at the end of the day, she was totally defeated and she never, ever tried again. It's a heartbreaking story, but it's it's a it's a tearjerker, you know? Right. Um, I don't remember what the, uh, the Irish saying is, but I remember watching an interview with Bono and they asked about like, do you get a big head doing this kind of stuff? And he's like, the Irish have a saying, which is like, keep a dog down or something like that. And it basically means that if you're, if you're from a 
working class, um, you are encouraged not to go above that artificially. If if you if you are obviously a genius to everybody, like like if you are incredible at math or you're like goodwill hunting or or you're like you're so phenomenal uh, and you're so phenomenally skilled at something like you're a chess wizard people will encourage you to go up in class but if you don't have that if you're not wearing a sign basically it says i'm a genius then people will try to temper your ambition and they will try to temper your uh upclassing and and there there is th- this research kind of backs that um they tracked 4,200 students. Um, and this is low grades. This is eight, ninth and 10th grades. Um, and they, they tracked them for a year. And what they did is they created a social map. Now they called it uh, a bird's nest map. Um, but Todd and I have done episodes on teams and social circles. And basically it's like a a node, like it almost looks like a, um, a chemical compound. And what that node usually looks like is you're in the middle and then you have branches that go out toward other people. And you might have, you know, uh, two or three branches before you you hit Lady Gaga or, you know, six degrees from Kevin Bacon. In my own my social circle, I may have to ask Todd to ask one of his friends to to get a hold of like uh, somebody in in um, publishing for me. And what they measured these researchers is um, the the people with the shortest paths to the most students were given the highest ranks on the social scale, meaning they didn't have to go through many of their connections before they could reach everyone else. So they were the most connected and they, they had the, the, uh, the, the best bonds. They were the nodes of nodes, so to speak. Those students were given, you know, high ranks. Those were the, the quote unquote popular kids or, or the high social ladder kids. Um, the surprise that the researchers ran into was that the kids getting bullied, um, they were getting bullied not only when they didn't fit in, like when we talk about somebody on the low social ladder, we don't think they deserve to go up the ladder because they are awkward. They, they don't have the right skills yet. They don't have the right social skills. They're not wearing a sign that says I'm the chess grand champion in the making. But they were also bullied when they were simply trying to avoid being victims by going up the ladder. So if you are um, what what Todd is talking about, the the girl who dresses and curls her hair and dresses very nicely and tries to like artificially move up the social ladder, if it's viewed as that, if it's viewed as this sort of like suddenly they're moving up the ladder, they get bullied more and they get bullied more because um, it's it seems like it's undeserved for one. And for two, once they reach the top of the social ladder, they're untouchable. And that's what this research bared out, too. It said um, boys and girls who began their year in the 50th percentile, so the middle, um, if they moved to the 95th percentile, the chances they were targeted for aggression went up by 25%. um, And as their social status increased, the involvement in aggression, um, both as perpetrator and victim, also went up until they got to the very top. And then things started to reverse. So when you become Lady Gaga, <laughs> when you get to the very top, the the level and the amount of bullying you get goes backwards. It, it 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 people basically start leaving you alone and start accepting that you probably deserve to be at that level anyway. That's interesting. So the ones who are just the prince and princesses who who don't have a lot of roadblocks, they're left alone. Yeah. That's that's what I can tell um, from this research. The the ones that 
made a a yeah a the, 50 to 95th percentile jump those are the ones that face the most uh you think there'd be kickback. some resent resentfulness about that group because right right their dad you know their dad got them in of course he's good at sports he's six foot six right right what i did notice when and i was a very popular high school student i was definitely in the top percentage of whatever it was what I did notice, though, because I wasn't always in that group, I moved up that group by changing schools and by the, some of the activities I did, um, not superficially, but just worked on myself. What I did notice is everyone in there was good at something, like really good. They were either really funny or really clever or good in grades or very attractive, but they're usually, it, it wasn't superficial. There was usually something that you could grasp onto or really hardworking or, or, you know what I mean? Right. I, 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 I wonder if that is, this was not in, in the research. I'm not suggesting this, but I am thinking that I wonder if it goes back to, you know, do we feel like they deserve to go up in social status or not? Um, or if, do you think it's just that they feel comfortable that all these other kids have those exact same abilities and personality traits? They're just, they're, they're just kind of not confident enough to go out there for obvious reasons they don't want to be attacked i mean because you can you know you know as a kid you're, you're very insecure anyways but yeah. there's a reason for that <laughs> because you're in a school with a bunch of mean kids now a lot of times when people like joe have these very very high iqs what, what they use that as a shield a social shield right yeah. because school comes so easy to them learning comes so easy that they can put all of their eggs in that basket, rightfully so, right? They're already talented in that. So I thought that was interesting, that even though she's this genius, she doesn't have to use what she's blessed with, and that IQ is, was, was earned and, and born with you know, that high IQ. An IQ of 161 is great. You know, it shocked me. Miley Cyrus has a, an IQ of 120. Yeah. <laughs> that surprised me, and I just thought, well, that's interesting that, that, that that's not what – that's not what they love. That's not what their genuine interest is. Yes, they're incredibly intelligent, but they don't have to just be academics and intellectuals. I There's always uh, um, lists online of like celebrities with surprisingly high IQs. I've always kind of wondered if like maybe that is a part of it is is to, to be successful in the first place on that level. You get a lot of celebrities who are accidental celebrities where like they had the right look, they had the right tone, they had the right feel, but they're only good at a couple of movies and then they kind of fade away. I wonder if those are like, I'm going to, I don't want to pick anyone, but the dummy celebrities, <laughs> I wonder if the ones that stick around are sticking around specifically because they also have that IQ. I think so because that's their limitless, right? They just yeah. keep working. They have to keep filling in. When you're, when you're smart, you're, you're hungry for more to learn and, and improve. When you see uh, somebody like Lady Gaga or like, um, oh crap, who did the song Rocket Man? Uh, Elton John. Elton John, yeah. Yeah. When you see a, a Lady Gaga or an Elton John and they're like as eccentric as, as the day is long, they, they, are, they are very, very eccentric. Does that indicate skill to you? Because I wonder if these other kids were making fun of Lady Gaga just because she was like, like, substituting uh, um, substance with, with flash. Yeah, I do. I think it does. I think it's um, it, when you're younger, it's very, you know, this is my, my street psychology. 
you really are drawn towards people who like the same kind of music, like the same kind of food, like the same movies, because it makes you feel like you're okay. Right. And then when you get older, you realize the value in being a different hate, a different height, a different race, you know, speaking different languages. You want to kind of fit in and be average for a lot of your life. But but if you can, I see it as being um, as thinking, thinking outside the box and being creative. Yeah. I, I, I assume that because I went to, to school specifically for art. But I, I think that there is there's well, we, we have research about um, the the subconscious assumptions of eccentricity. But but it, part of it comes with we have subconscious assumptions about um, value when it comes to like, OK, well, I'll, I'll kind of just start here. We, we, we value things when they um, fit the mold of something that has uh, appeared valuable before. For example, um, everybody likes old headphones, like like uh, the old sort of like, um, do you remember having like the huge stereo system that sat in the middle of the hallway and it's like, you know, it's almost the size of its own entertainment set. You go up there and you plug in like an actual physical you know, plug and put on like these giant head cans and... and yeah, you have to move. You can't move it. It's just, yeah, it's like part of the furniture. It's just, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we we have AirPods now. We don't need those, but we still have a subconscious preference for um, heavier uh, audio equipment. Um, Beats by Dre. Somebody took those apart and and found out that they are made artificially thirty percent heavier um, with metal parts just just stuck in there um, because heavier really? m- makes us associate it with quality. And that's not just for for Beats by Dre. That's that's like a lot of uh, a Isn't lot of crazy? objects are made artificially heavy. Yeah, <laughs> I never think of that because you think of now we're in the of the era of, of clouds, right? Right. We we want everything to be to not even be seen, and then then but that still we still have that in our DNA. That's funny, right? But we're like, yeah, it, it makes us think it's sturdy. Um, you mentioned at the beginning episode this study also talked about how um, if you put a bunch of subjects in a room. And you uh, ask them, you know, do you like this rap music? They'll say yes or no. Or, or do you believe it's it's high skilled? They'll say, you know, it is or it isn't. But if you reveal or artificially uh, tell them this rap was made by a white rapper like Eminem, this rapper was made by a black rapper um, in controlled music sample tests, they found out that people have a preference or at least uh, uh, say that the rap is better when it is a black rapper. and like all of these other examples, artist eccentricity is in fact linked to people thinking that the art is better. So Isn't if, that if funny, yeah, like see, I, the one that pops out to me was Macklemore, the rapper. Oh because, yeah, because yeah, because when you saw him, or let me say, the first time you saw him, I know I thought he was black. I was shocked that he wasn't. <laughs> right, and it was because he was so good. I thought, oh, he must be. So. And I saw him and he looked so very white. He looked like, <laughs> you know, he didn't look anything or act anything like Eminem. Not anything like that. That's that I, I think now that I'm thinking back on my first realization about Macklemore, I think you're correct. But but this goes across the board for everybody. If, if you don't. Uh, um, we have expectations. It, it's, it's archetyping or, or stereotyping. 
It is, we have expectations for what quality should look like from a certain type of creative or a certain type of like a high performing person. Um, Andy Warhol, the guy that drew paintings of soup cans in, in grids and like painted Marilyn Monroe and painted all this like kind of um, paintings that made fun of commercialism. He was so eccentric, like like he was like one of the most eccentric painters there were. Um, OK, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to stop beating around the bush and I'll get to sort of like our main study about this. Uh, there, there was a study that came up that called it the Lady Gaga effect, <laughs> which made my research very easy. I could, I was looking for research that that pointed out that that proved that Lady Gaga was, um, uh, let's say, not overvalued because of her eccentricity, but that she uses the eccentricity as a signal for her art. Yeah, she's um, so visible. So she was named after this, right? Right. Um. So. What they found is is they they did a study where um, they took uh, a Van Gogh painting like sunflowers and they presented it to people and they would tell them either, you know, no information at all. Like this is Van you know, either they tell them this is Van Gogh or this is nobody. And they'd ask them how much they like the sunflowers painting. And then they had experiments where they would just tell them that the artist had cut off his own ear. And not associated with Van Gogh, they would just tell them, uh, you know, this guy lopped off his ear while he was painting. And it was a, an, ex, an eccentricity of theirs. Um, and then they would also read short bios of fictional artists. <laughs> and, and basically what they found out very quickly was that um, if the artist was considered very eccentric or was rated as very eccentric, they also rated the artwork higher. Um. And this was this was a study by um, uh, Ego and Van Tilburg. Um, we'll we'll link off to their research. It's very interesting. Um, but they also did this with Lady Gaga specifically, which was really tricky. Like a lot of people know who Van Gogh is. That's obvious. But they realized that if they did a test and they just asked everybody, hey, is Lady Gaga talented? Everyone's going to say yes or no, because they're going to come in with preconceived notions. So instead, they made um biographies about an artist and they said this was a singer who wore you know tight black suits uh you know black gloves uh large shiny masks or they would say this is an artist who showed up in a meat suit like you mentioned or this is an artist who you know they would they would name things that lady gaga had worn or they would simply uh show a picture of her seated in no makeup simple black dress hair in a ponytail nothing eccentric about her and obviously and of course Anytime she appeared eccentric, um, sh- her art was given higher ranks. They gave her more respect. Now, there was one little tiny caveat to this that I found kind of made all the difference and, and was very interesting to me. Um, if they primed the test takers to think about marketing first, if they said um, in their, their fake bio, if they said, you know, uh, this artist you know, has been accused of using these as stunts for marketing, for, for marketing ploy. If they primed the test takers with that knowledge that it could be a marketing thing, it changed their perspective. They, they did not rate the art higher. They did not rate the artist higher. They, they rated it pretty much on average. So if you make people think of marketing first, if you make people think it might be a put on, even if they think it, it changes their perception of it. And that makes me think of Lady Gaga at her school. If if one student says, 
this is flim flam. This is marketing. This is, you know, uh, um, fashion over, you know, substance. That makes total sense to me. Can I keep going? Yeah. And, and then, then everybody else has the same thought in their mind. And suddenly that eccentricity, the, the dressing up to, to, you know, get the promotion that goes away. It, it's, it's somebody has primed everybody else to think negatively or, or to think that it is just a, a shtick. And then well, you're back to prove it. And that's what I was thinking too, because I think that we've all been um, fooled by thinking someone's more interesting than they really are, but based on their appearances sometimes. Right. So I think that maybe Lady Gaga's talent, it wasn't developed at that time. It was still in its infancy. So her, her probably talent didn't match up with her looks yet. <laughs> yeah. But she wasn't going to wait for that. She was going to, you know what I mean? Which I respect because she knew where she was going. She just, right? I mean, because it takes a long time to get good at what, the things that she's doing. Performing right. is a lifetime, a lifetime of work. And you're not going to be as good in high school as you are when you're, you know. Well, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying is, is if you are in life wearing a sign that says I'm a genius, that's how good your talent is. Like we, we, um, have you seen the, the show, the Queen's Gambit about chess? I have. Such a good show, but in the story, in the, in the actual like literature in the book and, and, you know, it, she's like five or six. She is like a, uh, she's not even a teenager when she is beating adults and grandmasters in chess. Like, like when we say somebody wearing a sign that says I'm a prodigy, I'm a genius, that is as big of a sign as you can have. But that's not most geniuses. Most geniuses really do have to work at it. Like, like there, there are, you know, Gladwell and also, um, you know, uh, John or was it Robert Green who wrote Mastery? Like all these people who have done serious research find that you really aren't a genius until you dedicate a serious amount of time. Like the the ten thousand hours is thrown around. It's less honestly if you have a lot of natural talent, but you still have to work at it, and you're still going to go through that phase of. You're dressing for a job that you don't have, and you're dressing for something that people don't think you have the talent for quite yet. Like, you haven't proved yourself. You're why, not wearing that sign yet. Why, as Americans, are we so impressed by people that things come easy to? <laughs> you know what I mean? Isn't that the weirdest thing? We, it is. We, we had an episode about genius uh, once where we, we there's, the, there's the Greek phrase that you have a genius, that, that it is like a devil on your shoulder influencing one very small skill of yours that it's not everything you do and we we love people who are naturally talented for some reason well, like yeah, we, the, the queen's game i remember how how worked up i got about that just thinking that's just so cool this little girl's beating all these people when you were talking about it i got that feeling in my chest again i'm like oh, yeah it's awesome like, why wouldn't why wouldn't i respect the person that's done it and finally peaked in their 50s and finally right. winning, who's done all this hard work and paid all these dues and everyone told him that they should have quit and, you know. Right. Uh, we just did an episode about Michael Jordan and uh, <laughs> talk about natural phenoms that got the right kind of coaching. And yeah, and he would tear down people who were working at it, like like people who were very, very good, but had to work for it. And I don't know why that is about us in particular. I don't know if it's human nature or Americans. Um that we we love natural talent over somebody who is working at it but the good news is um people kind of have short memories about your skill set um if you work very hard at something and get very good at something people will kind of assume you're natural <laughs> that's another phenomenon we've covered in other shows where like if you're lady gaga and 
you you know people in college remember you being gawky and awkward and you know not being a terrific singer but being really good you're not a genius you're not wearing that genius sign yet um so they're going to make fun of you for dressing out of out of turn but fast forward 10 years we're laughing about it because like one who cares who what they think and two they may not even remember it that way there there are so many celebrity encounters where like jk rowling talks about how people she makes fun of in her book or or modeled villains after they literally don't know it's them because you know they're just like oh yeah no i knew that person they were always going to be good like they they remodel history in their own mind to give you that genius sign when in reality they were trying to give you those little nudges and teases to to keep you in your what they thought was your own social class so if you had a baby joe who was 10 years old and a prodigy of writing okay and was obviously just very very intelligent um would you teach little baby joe to hide his talents to protect himself from the negativity that because you know we talked about in the speech in the beginning about lady gaga was in therapy about this it's really did scar her and it almost stopped her from just giving up from that much negative and and i wouldn't have blamed her if she did but how probably more people than not have quit so should you promote along the same as you work or should you wait and just be da 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 i I have very frequently wondered about this. Um, do you need to go through that period to get the thick skin to continue whatever you're talented in? Or or is it better to like shelter somebody? If if there is, um, if we're like talking like serious time travel here, I would, I would have like benefited from a tiger mom. Like I would have benefited from uh, a coach or somebody who sat me aside and said, get serious about this thing. You, yeah. You're going to love it. It's going to be the thing you do endlessly and we'll never get tired of it but you gotta hone and you gotta work on it and here's the the resources it's about yeah a hundred percent of the people in my boxing they're from all the years the guys that made it all had boxing dads every yeah. single one of them or a boxing mom the tiger mom they all did there's no exceptions <laughs> and i don't and and they say oh yeah no a hundred percent because the the parent didn't give up the kid kid gave up a million times but the parent wouldn't let them you know. Right. I I think that's true. I think that the first uh the, the first the the parent probably gets into it themselves and is good at it because they put in the time. But the the prodigy or the genius, you know, the child genius is gonna be their kid. Because that that parent who really, really, really tried and got decent, mediocre, okay, yeah. they became a professional that was moderately paid and modestly uh treated, right. they're gonna have the genius kid that they yeah, they, they teach all the, the skills too. Yeah, they, they do know all the, the hacks. <laughs> they know what to avoid. They know the pitfalls. And then they can and what's funny is those same boxing sons or daughters who grow up to be the champions resent their parents. They put them in this box, you know. Right. <laughs> like they really didn't need them to get there when, when just what you just said. This is a hundred percent it's so it's so obvious, you know. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I I think that developing talent is one of the most fascinating things on earth. And the idea of like yeah, people spotting Lady Gaga and being like treating her like that, that Stephen King story. That is so fascinating. And really, I don't know. I I I think we should appreciate more people who are um hard workers uh for a talent. Um but uh, again, like it's it's risky. Like <laughs> let's let's talk about the other side of this, which is 
um, if you encourage somebody who doesn't actually have the driver talent and doesn't have the thick skin enough to to push forward, one, they are going to run into catastrophe when they don't make it or they don't hack it or they have to give up on something, another something. Or, or two, what are the social risks that you um, promote somebody in your group and it doesn't pan out? Like if we if we rewind to school and we all knew the awkward kids that couldn't really like they said the wrong things, they were inappropriate, they they did not speak well, like they they you know, they didn't have the talent yet to like even really like they, they weren't good networkers early. They didn't have the soft skills and they wouldn't until college or later. If you put your reputation on the line and you, you know, not just let that person sit at your your lunch table, but you push them to be part of the upper social group and they absolutely humiliate themselves and you too. That's a huge risk. Like we don't talk about, you know, I'm not, I'm not promoting bullying here. I'm just saying that like, there's a reason why this is kind of built into our nature and that it statistically bears out for, you know, other groups. There's a lot to be. I never thought of it like that, but that's true because when you bring that kid to the party with you or you bring them to the football game or anything and they do stuff like that, and it, it doesn't alienate you too that you are <laughs> very few kids are popular enough, especially in their own social class. Nobody is really nobody's safe from right. getting kicked out. You, you might have to go, you might get demoted, demoted with them. <laughs> I've, I've definitely had the experience of like, I will find somebody who like they're talented or, or they're interesting and I'll bring them to like a party or I'll bring them to a social group or I'll invite them to a Toastmasters club and then they start speaking and holy crap, the stuff I didn't anticipate they would say and the, the awkward stuff that they bring up. And yeah, like the when they, you know, they bomb or, or they, they say you know, very inappropriate things or politically charged things or they start sharing conspiracy theories about how we didn't land on the moon. Then I'm like, oh, my God, what have I done? Like, like <laughs> I'm everyone's looking at me like you brought this person here. Just imagine that, except, you know, somebody saying I want to be a singer or or. Yeah, and, I, and I've had this happen in the corporate world where I've brought over people who I've worked with before, who I had relationships with, who I trusted that would dress up, show up, and do a phenomenal job who have done poorly. And yeah, you don't lose your job when there's a bad hire because you didn't hire them. And sometimes actually I did hire them. But it is embarrassing. And I know you lose points at work when you hire yeah. somebody who, who is who is who wasn't qualified, who you swear, who you put your name on there for that was. Well, you're, you're kind of seen as like, you know, somebody who can't read other people. <laughs> like, and if you're in managerial yeah. positions, you have to be able to read people. So yeah, it's, there's a lot of risk. And I know that the, the first half of this episode is about saying, you know, what about these dummies that didn't see that Lady Gaga was going to be amazing, but it's it is in our nature to try to not take that social risk of putting somebody else up the ladder and watching them fall back down and take us with them <laughs> um but but okay so what's what's the safe version of that what is how do we promote people like we we're we're not promoting people uh who 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 dress up and show up and upskill themselves go out of their comfort zone learn new things become very creative um Where there are let me, yeah, tell, go ahead. let me let me start this one off, please, because this is something I've talked about for years. I've wrote speeches about it and I'm saying <laughs> it's it's not about your tenure. It's about talent. 
And I've always felt that way. And I've always noticed that people who will pound on their chest and say, I've been here for 18 years, but it doesn't show, Joe. It feels like the first day. And the people who just go to work and, you know, the people who promote themselves the most at work are usually the people that have been there the longest, not the people that do the best job. Yeah. I, I 100% buy that. Uh, and I went looking for research to back that up. Um, you, we've have we talked about the Peter Principle on this show? That remind me. I, I I don't think we have, but it's very well known in just management and business. The Peter Principle is that um, the person that gets promoted gets promoted because they're good at a thing. Like if you are the best salesman on the floor. Uh, year in and year out, you eventually get promoted to management. But the problem is you didn't just prove yourself to be a good manager. You proved that you were a good salesman. Now you're suddenly being promoted to a totally different skill set. Um, Freakonomics had an episode about this where um, police officers were getting promoted uh, because they're really good police officers. But being a police chief or a, a you know lieutenant or captain, that isn't a policing position. That is well, a managerial, like a, yeah, yeah. like a political position, right? It is, yeah, yeah. It, 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 the higher you go, the more it becomes almost political entirely in nature and managerial and like with, with smatterings of economics and math and like uh, sociology. So, like, yeah, it's a totally different skill set. But the Peter Principle is you will be promoted to a, a the position of your incompetence, basically, is you'll be promoted out of your skill set eventually. And you'll be promoted to um, a position you're unready for. And there's such different, it's a, such a different thing chasing people with your car with a gun than it is organizing and managing and meetings. And <laughs> right. you can see why. And, and the same with sales. If Let's just say selling cars is very different from managing a car dealership. It is not the same thing. Right. And, and the idea that um, if you stick around long enough, and you just perform moderately well, you will eventually just collect your promotion and, and get you know put on the higher end of the ladder and, and you'll make more money. That's all very true. <laughs> We're not going to dispel any myths with that one. That, that's just how our, you know, uh, our current system works, especially our corporate system. Um, I, I'm, I was going to ask this as a question. If you haven't happened to look at the doc, what percentage do you think uh, of managers are chosen purely by tenure? Not by talent, not by uh, Lady gaga themselves, you know, dressing up, uh, upskilling themselves. Just I'd 10 years. 40%. I, my original guess uh, was about half. I, I went a little bit higher and I was like, half the bosses I've ever had, they were there because they just stuck it out and they didn't make waves and they just eventually, you know, became the bosun of the ship. Um, According to Gallup, uh, um, Gallup polls did a article about this and, and a bunch of really robust studies. It's about 82 percent. 82. That's most. Yeah. So uh, 82 a majority, a vast majority, a vast majority <laughs> of um, managerial roles are selected for tenure. Um, and well, I'll just I'll just read the quote here. And this is the reason why this came out is, is great. I, I'll share that first. The Washington Post was working on a report and a proposal about how we promote government workers. So they're trying to 
lean up or, or, or make government work more lean. And they're trying to like analyze how they promoted their people. And it was aimed at the Department of Defense, which is also funny because like that you, you think like the rank and file is the, the little definition of merit based promotion. Um, and they were looking at, you know, uh, how much is tenure based promotion a thing? How big is of a problem is that? How could they make um, promotion more efficient? Uh, this is by Gallup. They said, quote, the two most frequent reasons U.S. workers are promoted to managerial are tenure with the company and success in a non-managerial role. Like we said, the Peter Principle. That'd be like saying you're going to make you an NBA basketball player, but you never play. Ba- you never play basketball. You're a great baseball player. Yeah. Oh, I, it's it's how many great players become managers and then wreck the team because they're not good managers. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah, and especially with the defense department, where you think they wouldn't recognize talent if they, you know, you think in the the government, you think they don't they don't have any kind of <laughs> they don't have any Lady Gagas, okay, Joe? Right. Um. So they, it, it's 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 kind of a mind blower. Like like I'm still kind of shook about this because in my brain, like like Napoleonic. Uh, uh, um, military is where we were supposedly uh, getting away from, um, you know, royalty and, and nobility being the markers of who you promote. And we, we kind of accidentally drifted into a system where just tenure, it's, it's all about tenure and, and how long are you, you, you come in with the qualifications, uh, even if it's just barely. And then if you just sit there long enough, uh, um, you eventually get promoted. I think that is a slightly worse system and it's, it's still not a merit-based system. Um, that is also the reason why um, uh, doctors are usually more um, efficient if they are younger. A lot of people don't trust young doctors, but um, there have been studies that show that uh, younger doctors are usually um, better performers like in ER and emergency situations and also diagnoses because they are more uh, up on the literature. They've, they've read say. the the most yeah, recent the, stuff. The most recent stuff they studied the most recently, you know, as opposed yeah. to people who, well, we've done it this way. You can see someone getting, well, I've been doing this for 30 years, you know, and then an old know country that, doctor who hasn't been keeping up on their stuff. And yeah, yeah. it's all their education from the drug reps. Absolutely. Um, yeah, go ahead. I have a burning desire. And we talked about this before the, the economics of love and success at work and, and your relationships. And I'll tell you why. A lot of this tenure thing comes around a lot of times, um, a lot of turnover in companies is because people can't afford to stay in the game long enough to get promoted. But the ones with supportive um, spouses or partners, they, they can afford to comfortably go to work and work stressless because the income is not as much um, on their day-to-day life as it is on somebody who has to you know, make a, make a, make a go of it on their own. Right. So you're saying like somebody who desperately needs that promotion so they can cover the cost of their commute and their medical bills and all that other crap. And it's going to jump. It's going to yeah. be more flighty, you know, because they, they, they can only hold out. But when you have a, you know, a, a secure partner at home. And, and we don't respect people who are too hungry for it, too. Like <laughs> this kind of wraps into the, the, the whole same Lady Gaga ball, which is if you look too hungry for a promotion or to be in a upper ladder, um, we also think you don't deserve that. Like <laughs> uh, that's, that's um, was it uh, Pete's character from Mad Men? Like he was a imminently hateable character because he wanted so much 
to to do something and be something that he wasn't yet. And and we wanted the the naturally good person who is, you know, the Don Draper character. So well, um it just so we don't leave it completely unsaid, um Gallup uh um followed this up by saying that there are five things that um predict great managerial success and it's not tenure i don't know if that was too much of a spoiler but um well is that the thing so this 82 percent they're not they're not doing well no Uh, what's what's the fail rate of this um they didn't give an exact fail rate um this is still sort of an ongoing thing like they're uh, we'll we'll link off to the articles there are multiple articles covering this specifically centered around like the reports that came out of the department of defense and you know why promoting based on tenure is a bad idea but they're changing how they're doing it because of it it's filling to the fact that it's not working anymore exactly yeah um and in a society where we are constantly looking for basically like the most efficient way to run companies the most efficient way to make profit oftentimes the most efficient way to make those improvements is to look at how you're promoting people and that's why um you know like what is that 18 percent of people who aren't doing it based on tenure um they're they're doing it well like (laughs) that is oftentimes what is the difference between a successful company um they said in this gallup study uh they looked at 2.5 million managerial led teams in 195 different companies uh or countries um and they said that the highly talented managers who were not promoted based on tenure who were promoted based on merit they excelled at five things and they're very short they are motivating employees to take action and engage with compelling missions. So basically give them a sword and and a righteous cause, um, exhibiting assertiveness to drive outcomes. Lady Gaga, (laughs) they they have a, they have a goal. They have a, a, they're, they're trying to get an outcome, uh, creating a culture of accountability, um, being, uh, building relationships that create trust, open dialogue and full transparency that one is the one I've seen the least among uh, managers that are brought up with tenure. I think often because they are trying to get away from transparency so that, you know, it doesn't look like other people could do their job. Like they become defensive about their job. And then the last one is making decisions based on productivity, not politics. Yeah, I'm with you on that. The full transparency one, which I don't understand. I think as a good manager owner, whatever you are, you should want people to know how to do your job so you can delegate <laughs> right <laughs> and build your build your successor right i mean geez you want to do this forever <laughs> right and and you know the obvious things that are missing on this list are staying with the company a really long time and uh taking shots at the people who are climbing the social ladder <laughs> above you <laughs>